Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Liz Clark with another edition of Nakubo in Brief. I am delighted today to have two guests joining me. I have Maisha Merchant, who is Senior Vice President for Finance and Operations at the California Institute of Arts, and Tom Heck, Chief Investment Officer for the Ball State University Foundation. Welcome, Tom and Maisha. Thank you. Welcome. Let's get started with a bit more on your institutions and what you do. Tell us a little bit more about your role and your uh, your college. Hi, Liz. I'm the Senior Vice President and CFO at CalArts, or California Institute of the Arts. We're a small private uh, college based in Southern California, 30 miles north of downtown Los Angeles, and we focus on the performing and visual arts. In fact, the school was founded by Walt Disney 50 years ago. I did not know that. That's fascinating. All right, Tom, a little bit about you. Ball State University is a public uh, university in the state of Indiana, about 20,000 students on campus uh, when we have students on campus. Um, I work for the foundation, so as most public universities have a separate foundation. Uh, I'm the chief investment officer and, and chief financial officer of the, uh, of the foundation. So primarily focused on endowment management, philanthropy, and support of the university. The first time I heard of Ball State was when I heard that David Letterman had been a student there. Is that right? Yes. yes. Uh, and one of our most famous alumni. <laughs> so it looks like we're all calling in from our respective homes today. Uh, Tom, uh, what is the situation on your campus? And is have there been any decisions about bringing students back? Or what might your summer or even fall look like? What do you know? And what don't you know? Right. You know, as the situation began to develop, uh, the university responded fairly quickly and in coordination with the state guidelines that were being issued. Um, the university quickly transitioned to a virtual classroom environment and essentially sent all students home. Um, that uh, uh, happened, I think, in, in late March, early uh, April, and has continued um, through the rest of the semester, obviously. The summer, has there's not been a lot of impact because most of our classes were virtual for summers anyway, um, although there's been a loss financially of um, for all the workshops and camps and other uses of the, of the uh, campus facilities that normally occur during the summer. Decisions are being made yet for the fall. Um, there's a, a cross-campus group that is that are discussing all the various issues with social distancing and, and um, uh, cleanliness and all the other issues involved uh, with the, a life of a community of 20,000 people. Um, 
And um, so we're waiting to see what the fall guidelines are going to be. Um, aspects of it are going to be very interesting. Um, many Ball State has a obviously has a has a Division One football team. Um, not as dependent on the football revenue as other universities are, but I'm sure there are many universities that are significantly impacted based on what their football program will look like in the fall, as well as other sports. Um, so it's 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 the classroom, it's the administration, it's the other activities um, are all impacted by you know by the current situation. One thing that we did do here, after a lot of debate, uh, we have a um, uh, a focused day of giving in April. And um, last year was our first year to do that. This year was was going to be the second year. And there was a lot of discussion whether to do one Ball State Day or not. Ultimately, we decided to, to do it with a change of focus to support students who were uh, being affected by the, uh, by the COVID situation. And it was very successful. We, we had greater success on one Ball State Day this year than we did last year. So the philanthropy part of our operation has to continue and adapt. And I know our alumni engagement activities are very much adapting to trying to maintain and connect with the, with the Ball State community through the situation and, and respond to the developing needs of that community. I, I love that story because it's such a reflection that when there's a need, people show up and it's really Really nice to hear in so many different contexts. We see it in the uh, frontline circumstances with health providers and uh, food uh, food pantries, but even colleges and universities are facing students with increased need and ex- unanticipated expenses. And it's it's great to hear that you had such success with One Ball State Day this year. I also want to tap into a couple of the other points you made. We've been hearing from a number of schools about the impact sports will have on enrollment, and not just in the traditional sense of football and basketball and Division I athletics, but there are a lot of students who are scholar-athletes, and they go to a college or university, and their experience is significantly influenced by their participation on the crew team or the soccer team or the lacrosse team or the swim team. And uh, that could truly impact enrollment at colleges and universities of any size. It's, it's uh, uh, a real concern for many institutions, as, is, as are the summer uh, considerations that you mentioned as well. It's very interesting that you are uh, largely online to begin with, but you mentioned summer camps, and we're hearing a lot about that, particularly from smaller schools who rely on revenue from summer camps and conferences to help with their financial picture at their institution. Um, Maisha, what has been going on at CalArts? A lot has happened. And we actually had a March board meeting on March 10th. And that was the same day that we passed our budget for next year, as well as made the difficult decision to move all of our classes online. And so we made that decision relatively early. And really, the team has been focusing, I'd say, on three sort of concurrent phases. We've been focusing on responding, analyzing, and reimagining in that order. But also, if you think of a Gantt chart that overlaps, it's very much overlapping. And it's the same team, the same sort of leadership team that works on all three things at the same time. And of course, as Tom mentioned, you know, the focus has really been on 
main, on focusing on the safety and security of our community of artists. So that was really the f- first uh, early on. That's really what we were focused on. And we, within a week, we moved all of our classes to remote instruction, as well as shortly after that, our entire, most of our workforce moved remotely. And for us, that was, uh, I'd say, a, a huge lift because we don't have as much of an online presence. And uh, generally, the campus feel, it's a small community with 1,500 students, very intimate. It's a, a, The whole sort of essence of CalArts is being on campus, small classes, and everybody being in person together. And of course, in the um, field of arts, especially if you're thinking about performing arts, for example, it's, it's a lot more complicated to have that online instruction versus necessarily teaching an economics class or a math class. I was actually teaching a class myself this semester on creative entrepreneurship. So I also had to pivot my class uh, to being online. And, and so that was a, an interesting transition. Um, I feel like, you know, a class like entrepreneurship can still happen more easily remotely. It becomes a lot more difficult when you're teaching sort of theater set design and you need the tools and you have to work in in the actual shops to be able to make your pieces. Uh, so it's been, uh, you know, but luckily our CalArts is a, a school that believes in experimental art and is known for its experimental art. So this has been a big experiment for us. And so I think that, you know, the faculty and the staff have pivoted really well. Um, and the students, I feel like, you know, they've also been very resilient through this process, but everybody is concerned about what is going to happen in the fall. And it's one thing to do this for a few months this semester, but continuing this kind of remote model into the fall would probably not be sustainable for us. We would have to think about us. We are thinking about a hybrid model whereby we do have on the ground components uh, so that the students can get that experience that they the, and, and access to the tools and spaces that they need to be able to continue their education and get that CalArts experience. So a lot of unknowns. We've been doing a lot of scenario planning, really starting to think about what the, what the future might hold. You know, it's, it seems like taking out a crystal ball and really trying to predict what's going to happen on so many fronts, looking at all of our different revenue streams and revenue levers to try and see what would happen, not just on the endowment front, but more importantly for us, we're extremely enrollment driven. And so we're very enrollment tuition dependent. And so we've been really focusing on what could potentially happen from an enrollment standpoint, uh, given especially the fact that 28% of our student body is international. So a lot of scenario planning. And then we've started to, we've already felt the fiscal impact off uh, off this crisis with the amount of room and board uh, credits that we had to give, as well as our summer programming all being canceled. We've transitioned some of it online, but again, unlike having the benefit, Tom, that you know, you most a lot of your summer programming was online, ours was all on the ground. I think what people come for is the CalArts on the ground experience and being in Southern California. And so that's been difficult. We also have a performing arts venue in downtown Los Angeles, and that as well is suffering. Uh, it's a part of the Walt Disney Concert Hall. So it's complex, and there are many different pieces to it, but we're all working hard to try and figure it out. Uh, and now are very much in the process of starting to think about you know, what the budget impact is going to be for next year. As I mentioned, Liz, that 
we had set our budget already pre-COVID, and, and, but the truth is that budget no longer holds in this moment. It's a challenge. Some of the challenges here are challenges that we have been hearing from so many colleges. And the, the fact of the matter is if there's no enrollment, there's no students paying tuition, and there's fewer revenues coming in to pay the expenses of running your institution, whether it's paying faculty and staff or uh, paying on any debt service or operations and maintenance. And there is a real fiscal challenge. And you talk easily about the pivot to moving online, but I'm sure for both of you, there were expenses affiliated with that. New software, new software licensing, training that the faculty may have needed, hardware needs perhaps in some cases. So um, that there are both new expenses and lost revenue to institutions, both in the past and in the very near future if the fall uh, remains uncertain. So in light of that, and what I really want to focus on with both of you, because you have been such expert contributors to our professional development space on the topic of endowments, is a question that has come up over and over again that we hear from journalists or the general public. Most of these colleges have endowments. How come endowments can't help just help colleges out through this crisis? Uh, so... Uh, I guess if you were to take a top line answer to this question, how would you respond? We can dig deeper as we go along, but why can't endowments save the day? Uh, uh, Maisha, do you want to give it a go first? Sure. In one line, I just say that endowments are not rainy day funds. And I think that is the bottom line at the end of the day. I think it's easier to think of endowments as a sort of a savings account and a bank, and you can just tap into it. But the truth is, they are not rainy day um, funds, and there is a contractual obligation that an, an organization has to its donors that have restricted the endowment, uh, not just for its use, perhaps, but also for the fact that these funds need to uh, be in use in perpetuity, and, and not just in perpetuity, but also need to be equitably used across generations. I think, you know, the concept of intergenerational equity comes into play here. Tom, how do you answer that question? Ball State, being a public university, like many public universities, does not have an unrestricted endowment. So as Misha referred to, most, most of our endowment funds are restricted to a specific scholarship purpose or professorship or to support a particular area or program. So we can't do a general draw on these endowment funds to support operations. That said, I mean, we've, we've tried to think about that topic creatively. Is there a way for us to create at this point an unrestricted endowment of some kind? Could we go to our significant board members and, and really lay out this financial situation and say, okay, we're, we know you're, you're a significant supporter of the university. Would you be willing to set up an endowment that is unrestricted for a period of time? and then becomes restricted some year, five years, 10 years down the road. But for this period of time could be used for operations or could we use some planned giving vehicle that would allow us to gain more additional operations support um, uh, during this period of time. So we've, we've tried to think creatively, but for the regular endowment, the, the endowment money you spend in a down market is very expensive money 
because then that market is not, that money is not there to recover as the market recovers. Uh, if you spend it now and then the market goes up, you know, recovers 10%, 20%, that money is already spent. It's gone. I mean, all, all that said, the institution has to survive. So survival is first. Second becomes a real critical use of your resources and in, in an examination and, and thoughtful approach to what resources you might be able to garner during this period of time. So I hear you both saying that there are promises to donors and that spending now shortchanges the future if there's too much of a draw and your institutions can't uphold that promise to your donors to make sure that those funds serve students now and into the future. Maisha, you started out by saying that endowments are not rainy day funds. For those not familiar with college and university or any law, large organization's financial picture, do colleges have other funds that are rainy day funds? Yes, potentially. Uh, you know, colleges and universities may have reserves that they've set out specifically for this purpose. Uh, but again, I feel like just like with the endowments, it's it's interesting. A lot of the press focuses on the negative side of endowments in this moment. In the past, there was a lot of uh, pushback to chief financial officers about reserves. Like, why is it that you are budgeting for a portion going towards reserves or why are you building up your reserves? I personally at CalArts had faced that pushback. And in this moment, we built, we essentially over the last three years, we doubled our reserves and it's the reserves that are going to help us in this moment. That's what's going to help us buy the time to be able to understand what's going to happen from an enrollment standpoint. Because unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, you know, it's a cyclical, uh, higher ed is very cyclical. We start paying our staff and faculty, our fiscal year starts on July 1. We start paying those expenses on July 1. But we won't actually have a, a sense of really where our enrollment stands until September. So this, it's going to be our operating reserves that help keep us going for those few months before we have to make the difficult decisions that we have to based on enrollment. So yes, I, I, you know, reserves are very important in this moment. So reserves are those very different type of funds that are accessible and meant to be there in situations and circumstances like many institutions are facing now. Endowments are not reserves. Endowments are not rainy day funds. That being said, uh, Tom, you spoke a little bit about creating new ways for donors to give that might be able to respond to a situation like this. But is there anything, if not at your institutions, at other institutions that that, that, that can be done to tap into endowments to address further need? Do you think any institutions might change anything for this year? Is that possible or is that completely impossible? Well, as a foundation, we're doing our operating budget right now. I know the university is working through the same process. And the university does not know what the status of the funding from the state of Indiana is going to be right now. The state has been very much affected. So, so that's an issue. I, I've read an article about um, community foundations potentially using their endowed funds as to help as collateral or lines of credit for their constituent op organizations. So, you know, to the extent that um, that may even, you know, be a foundation for its university. If the university does not have the funds, um, could the foundation 
provide some collateral for a line of credit. Uh, Ball State took out a line of credit, but it was financially strong enough to be able to do that that on its own. Uh, the um, one concern I have long term, I mean, we're dealing, we're trying to get through this short term crisis, but we're also at a period of time where, I mean, I've tracked investment returns on endowments for 30 years, and the 10 year average trend is down. And it's to the point where, for our organization and for a couple of others that I participate on, the, the investment return, the projected investment return, is below our return objective. So if we look at our administrative fee and our spending rate for endowed funds, do we think we can earn that? And can we earn something for inflation on top of that? So what does that put you to? Six and a half, seven, seven and a half, eight percent, depending on your institution? The UPMIFA requires us to maintain the real value of our endowments. So the actions we take now in, turn, in terms of drawing more from our endowment may create an UPMIFA problem 10, 20 years down the road, where, where we have now not failed, we haven't failed to maintain the, um, the, the real value of our endowments, then we will then have be in violation basically of UPMIFA. I think uh, another way to put it for those maybe not as familiar with this kind of long-term financial management is endowment managers 20 and 30 years ago invested in a way that could benefit those people who are freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors at Ball State right now. And it's your job to make sure that you can maintain that same level of commitment and not lose ground for students who will be alumni of the future. Right. The, the Uniform Prudent Management of Institutional Funds Act, the predecessor act, required maintaining the value of the gift, the historic gift value. And the flaw in, in that law was that then it became, endowments had to shut off if they lost value because they couldn't violate the gift, the value of the gift. So you get into a time like this and the endowment spending would shut off entirely in many institutions. UPNIFA, the Uniform Prudent Management of Institutional Funds Act, takes the longer view and says you can spend prudently as long as your long-term goal is to maintain the real value. So it allows us to continue to spend to support our institution during difficult times, but we still have to be able to meet the standard for the long-term. And that's something I worry about given the long-term trend in investment returns. Maisha, is there anything you want to add on this topic? Yes, absolutely, Liz. Uh, I do think that institutions in this moment are probably thinking about how can your endowment spend help you at least balance your budget, right? So as, as they're thinking about the endowment spend, they're thinking about, well, could I potentially increase the percentage of my draw? Could I change my spending rule? so that in this moment, the endowment can help help me. And I think the my advice would be to really not think short-term because, as, as Tom said, the, the purpose of an endowment is very much long-term. You're thinking about this, the, the survival of an institution. You're thinking about an institution surviving for hundreds of years. So it's important for us to think long-term and not just short-term. In fact, it, during the uh, Great Recession around uh, 08, 09, and 09 period, CalArts had to make a similar sort of decision when the endowment values had dropped. And the decision was to actually decrease the draw in order to be able to preserve the long-term value 
off the endowment. So I think I, I know I realize that not all institutions would be able to do that. And I think it really boils down to the point of what survival. And so if an institution is an organization is at the brink of survival, which, you know, in this moment is is plausible because you do have smaller colleges and universities that are highly tuition dependent, where they may be getting 60% of their students from that are international, that come out of come from outside the United States. If there are immigration restrictions, if there are travel restrictions, right now we know student visas are not being issued, then it's, and, and the, those students are the ones that are actually providing majority of the tuition, because we all know that international students uh, tend to be much less discounted than our domestic students. Now, if you see that plummet in, in uh, tuition revenue coming into this highly dependent, tuition dependent um, organization, that doesn't have the operating reserves. This is in that moment. It's time to think about well, how, how does the endowment help me survive? Because at that point, there's I mean, long term may no longer exist, and intergenerational equity is no longer a question. Because if it's a matter of survival, that's when you have to think about these things. So in that moment, I think it's important to think about how does the endowment help you. But otherwise, I think in terms of changing your spending rule or changing the actual percentage draw. I think those are things that hopefully you've been talking with your investment committees about over time. Like we've been doing that over the past few years. So we've, we're already sort of primed to make that shift. And we are going to be making a shift in our endowment, in our spending rule. We're going to move from the three year trailing average to a real growth model, also called the snake in the tunnel <laughs> model, which will help us. In, in this moment, because it actually helps you during, it helps you mitigate your budget, uh, the endowment spend amount and your budget from sort of the market volatility that we're all experiencing right now. And for schools, this is going to be really important because if we think about, you know, if I think about what the model we're using right now, which is the three-year trailing average for our uh, fiscal year 22 budget, we're going to end up using year-end values for December 2020. December 2019 and December 2018. 2018 was when we all saw a dip in our endowment value. 2019 is going to help us a lot because that, at least for us, that was our all-time endowment um, highs. That's when we had our all-time endowment highs. But again, 2020, we, we're not sure what our value will be at the end of this year, but we've already all seen a significant drop in our endowments, especially if you had an asset allocation that was significantly focused on equi the equity market. So there is going to be a real impact to budgets and endowment spends that uh, institutions are going to see. And then if you couple that with enrollment, this is, this is where everything becomes a lot more difficult. So Maisha, for most institutions, generally speaking, you don't have to speak for CalArts specifically, you talk about how the spending rate is based on an a moving average of three recent years. Does that mean, what does that mean in terms of the actual dollars that the endowment can provide to the institution? We saw this re recent market downturn. Does the downturn automatically mean the endowment is going to pay out less? Or does it mean that this approach of looking at several years provides some kind of steady, reliable funding for the institution? 
the idea is that with the using a three-year moving average, and some schools may use three years, they may use multiple quarters, or they may use five years. So it can vary in terms of what the formula actually is. But the idea is to sort of smoothen out the uh, values so that you're not just using one point in time. But in this situation, again, if you are on where majority of the institutions I know are on the sort of three-year moving average, and if you're looking at the 2018, 2019, and 2020 values, you already have you already potentially have two years, which are going to be down years. So there will be a significant drop in the amount of endowment spend that an institution is going to have, unless it is offset by your fundraising efforts and and inflows into the endowment. So new endowment gifts coming in. Tom, if you could comment on that question, and if there's anything I've failed to ask, uh, please go ahead and add it, and then we'll come back around to Maisha for closing thoughts from her as well. Uh, sure. No, I mean, one thing I've thought about is that uh, as most institutions still use a three-year rolling average for their spending policy calculation, I've wondered if it might be more appropriate to use a 10-year rolling average, something that would, if we're going to have a major crisis about every 10 years, it would be nice to keep a major crisis in the, within the period of that calculation. So going to a 10-year or even 20-year or something rolling average might be better and, and less volatile than a three-year rolling average would be. I've played around with it a little bit. You almost have to go to a seven-year rolling average uh, to take out any negative years, and probably that's violated now too. So a 10-year rolling average might be something to consider. The one thing I would add is uh, in terms of your spending rule, uh, it's important to really think about that spending rule, especially depending on your dependence, how dependent your budget is uh, on your endowment spend. So if you are highly dependent on your endowment spend, so in other words, a larger portion of your budget is funded by your endowment spend, then you really need to start to think about either greater smoothening or a different sort of spending rule because you are now subjecting your budget to that market volatility that Tom is talking about. So that is, is, is highly important. And uh, I mean, right, I think I remember from the endowment study that the median percentage for the actual endowment spend a per, uh, as a endowment spend as a percentage of the budget was only 4.8%. Um, which is very, very low. Uh, I hope a lot, I think the average is much higher because of the skew from the larger institutions. But I do know certain institutions, even smaller institutions that are very specialized and actually have it sort of an endowment model. And for them, they are ha having to really carefully think about in this moment is what changes do they need to make with their endowment spending rule because they essentially had to make large personnel actions and decisions and cost-cutting measures because they were so dependent on the endowment and they were worried about what would happen um, because they're so dependent on the endowment. And as schools uh, start to face the enrollment hits that they're going to that they may face, uh, these the the percentage that your budget is reliant on the endowment may go up. So as your enrollment and your tuition revenue starts to drop. Your that might the actual drop in the tuition revenue might be greater than the amount that your endowment values might be going down. So that now the the actual your budget pie is going to change. So another reason why schools should potentially think about uh, what their spending rule is. But again, I would say that you know it's uh, 
I go with what Tom said, this is not the moment to necessarily just go in and draw down on the endowment unless you're in survival mode, because it is extremely expensive to do it right now. I think you have certainly given listeners a lot of information to chew on here. I think a couple of themes that have come through is just how much uncertainty there is in general for institutions as we look to the fall term and the academic 2021 school year, how much uncertainty there is in terms of how reliant an institution can afford to be on on its endowment and how that may or may not change in light of this crisis. And uh, you've also added generally to uh, stressing the role of the endowment. I say it over and over again, endowments are not rainy day funds. They're strategically managed and if spent the wrong way, they shortchange the future of any institution. And you've beautifully helped me illustrate that here today. Uh, Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Liz. Great. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Maisha.